This morning, as we move into our message today, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 1. Uh, Acts chapter 1, we'll get there here in a moment, but this Sunday does launch our next five initiative. Uh, if you've been around Redeemer, you've probably heard about this already to some degree, way, shape, or form. Uh, but this morning's Vision Sunday, we want to kind of cast vision for you of what we think this next five initiative will entail and involve. Uh, we talked about the next five when we celebrated the first five uh, last year of our five years here in faith, looking forward to what we believe the Lord would do in our next five years of ministry here. And as we get started this morning, I want to invite you to take a look at this video that will outline the priorities we believe to be at the center of this next five vision. celebrated the last five years of God's faithfulness to us as a church in 2020, we began to turn our attention to the next five years of ministry here in faith. As we move into the future, our elders have identified several priorities that we believe need our focused attention as a church. Now, the first of those priorities is a continued commitment to reaching our neighbors. At Redeemer, we want to be a part of creating kingdom culture in Rockwall County. In real life, that kind of kingdom culture looks like prodigals returning home, marriages being restored, and the needy around us receiving care. It looks like community members of every color and every class feeling welcomed in our churches, and new churches being launched in our county and beyond. But creating kingdom culture starts with people being reconciled to God through faith in His appointed and anointed King, namely Jesus Christ. We want to continue to reach our neighbors by sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and that new life is available for any and all who would trust in Him and place their confidence in Jesus. The next five will provide a place for that gospel message to be declared Sunday after Sunday and the gospel to be demonstrated Monday through Saturday through ongoing outreach in our community. Now, the second priority we want to focus our attention on is raising disciples. Now a disciple is someone that is learning to reorder their lives and loves as followers of Jesus. Jesus Himself says that discipleship involves a kind of death, a dying to self, dying to the godless agendas that have filled our lives, dying to the cultural story that says that the highest aim of your life is personal fulfillment. And as we learn to find life through death, we discover that the loneliness we once experienced is replaced by the experience of being knit together with others who are reordering their lives and loves around Jesus as well. We mature from being selfish to selfless, from greedy to generous, from malicious to merciful, and on and on and on. To continue seeing disciples raised at Redeemer will require an investment in human resources. Gifted people who are willing to invest their lives in others as disciple makers. And some of those will need to be staff members of our church. So as we grow, we need to better compensate our current staff members to account for increases in cost of living, changes in family dynamics, while at the same time adding additional staff to make the workload more manageable. 
and the next five will provide additional staff funding at Redeemer to help us better serve and care for those who commit their vocational energy to serving and caring for us. Now, a third priority is launching leaders. At Redeemer, we envision being a teaching church, just like a teaching hospital takes in nursing students for clinical rotations and medical students for residencies. A teaching church takes in young men and young women called to ministry for internships and residencies and helps launch them into new ministry opportunities. As we move into the next five, we're aiming to launch an intern and residency program to invest in future pastors, church planters, and ministry leaders. And we hope to welcome the first summer interns here at Redeemer in the summer of 2022 and the first resident in early 2023. And a part of the funding from the next five will be given to assisting our mission partners to level up our support of their initiatives and our involvement with them, but another portion of that will be earmarked and set aside as well for church planting and revitalization. The fourth priority for us at church over the next five years is to find and fund a permanent home. And a key step in this endeavor is to secure the funding we need to purchase property in our community. You know, locking in a location as real estate prices around us escalate is vitally important because if history is any indication, the price of land in our community will only continue to rise as we move further into the future. As a result, what we could buy with a dollar today may cost $1.25 or $1.35 in a few years. So better to buy now than later. Now our vision to be a church planting church defines our land and facility needs. So we aren't looking for 30 acres to build a super center. Instead, we're looking for four to seven acres to build a modern but modest and functional facility. A facility where we can gather for worship every weekend that would also serve as an outpost for ministry in our community throughout the week. And this kind of permanent home will give us a place to conduct ongoing outreach in our community, a place to instruct and equip, and a place to bring in, invest in, and send out future leaders. So listen, church, over the next six weeks, we'll talk extensively about these pieces of the Next Five vision, these four priorities in our messages, in our life groups, as they meet in homes throughout the week. We'll talk about them in our prayer gatherings, at leadership dinners, with our grade schoolers in their classes about stewardship and how they can steward their resources, our preteens and in our student ministry. But this morning, I want to kick off this series and this initiative with a message entitled Reaching Our Neighbors from Acts chapter 1. It's the first piece of that priority that we outlined in the next five vision of reaching our neighbors. And I want to do so by looking at Acts chapter one with you this morning for a little while. Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one, we'll read down through verse eight together. If you don't have a copy in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. But in Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one, we read in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's word. I had the opportunity earlier this summer, maybe some of you had the same opportunity to watch a Major League Baseball game uh, that was played in Dyersville, Iowa. Dyersville, Iowa. Right? In Dyersville, Iowa, uh, there was a ballpark that was built just down the street from where the 1989 iconic sports movie classic Field of Dreams was shot. Okay? And they built this, MLB built this massive stadium there uh, to host several thousand individuals for the game. But that movie, Field of Dreams, was uh, a, a, a movie that was about this man who owned this farm there in the middle of Iowa. Uh, it was a farmer by the name of Ray Kinsella. who was played by Kevin Costner, if you remember the movie. Um, if you have never seen it, by the way, that's, it's a must-watch, okay? Right? Grown men by the end are just like crying, all right? Uh, but he hears this voice in his head uh, that, that, that he believes is telling him to build a baseball field in the middle of his cornfield because it keeps telling him, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. And he interprets that message as this instruction to build this field on his farm. And when he does, the ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson, along with uh, seven other Chicago White Sox players from the 1919 Chicago White Sox team that were uh, banned from baseball for throwing the 1919 World Series, right? They took money as a bribe not to perform it for their abilities so that they would lose and people could win all kinds of money. So they were banned from the game of baseball, right? And so they appear out of the corn. They begin to play on the field. And I'll fast forward through the, through, through the rest of the show. But at the end of the movie, you've got Shoeless Joe who's talking to Ray. And he's moving back into the corn for the last time, okay? And Ray so badly wants to go with him. But Shoeless Joe turns to Ray and he says, If you build it, he will come. And he motions to the home plate area of the field where there is a man still dressed in all of his catcher's gear and he takes off his mask and it's Ray's father who had since been deceased and it's him as a young man. And they get to play a game of catch on this field that he's built out there in the middle of a cornfield. Right? At that point, all the grown men in the room are just like crying and tears and weeping and sobbing on the floor. Right? But this is a, it's, a, it's a really, really good movie. And the, 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 the line that everyone remembers from that movie is, if you build it, what? He will come. If you build it, he will, it shows up so many times throughout the movie. And while that may be a great premise for a movie, I want to tell you, church, it is a terrible strategy for evangelism. Okay? It's a terrible strategy for evangelism. Right? Nowhere in the New Testament did Jesus say, if you build it, they will come. Okay? And so I want you to know at the very outset of this journey together, this initiative is in part about, yes, securing funding to purchase land and build a building one day, but it is more about 
us being built into the kinds of people that God would use to fulfill His mission in this place that He's planted us. It's more about that. Right? Nowhere does Jesus say, right, go build a venue to host the masses, but rather He gives commands to the apostles to build a people who would be about His mission. About His mission. And that's what first and foremost this initiative is about. It's about forming us into the kind of a church and the kind of community right, that we, we be stretched and shaped and formed into those people who are willing to let God use us for His purposes, pour us out for His glory here within our own local context. That's what this initiative is about. And if we're going to be that kind of people known for faithfulness to the mission of Jesus, then listen, what I have to say to us this morning is this, is that we must embrace our role as gospel witnesses. We must embrace our role as gospel witnesses. Let me show you that in Acts chapter 1. In verse 8, we have Jesus' final words right before His ascension. Right? And the final words that somebody speaks often carry great weight to them, don't they? Right? Here's the most important thing that I want to say to you, my family, as you gather around the hospital bed. Right? And that's what Jesus is doing here before He's taken up to heaven. We have His final words. And in His final words, He commissions His disciples to be His witnesses. His witnesses. Now the word witness in the original language in the Greek text literally means this, to bear in mind, to keep in mind, to remember, right? It means to remember and to be able to report what you remember to someone else. Okay? That's exactly the way the word witness is used within our judicial system, isn't it? Whenever someone goes on trial and they call all kinds of witnesses to come and testify, whenever they bring those individuals into the court of law and they swear them in, put them on the stand, right? what they're doing is they're reporting what they saw when they saw it, what they heard, when they heard it, what they experienced, when they experienced, what happened before and what happened after. They're reporting the facts about the things that they have seen and heard and experienced so that others would be able to make a decision about the innocence or the guilt of the individual who is on trial. That's what a witness does in the judicial system. And listen, with regards to the biblical testimony and the biblical sense of what a witness is, right? it's also that someone who reports what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. And before Jesus ascends, He says to His disciples, He says to His followers, your job is to witness to Me. To witness about Me. What you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced as you've encountered Me. Jesus says, you as well will be my witnesses. You. Now, listen, the word you in our English text, right, and in the Greek and in every language oftentimes has a singular dimension to it, right? You as an individual, but it also has a plural dimension to it. In other words, like the, the way it gets translated into Southern Redneck is like y'all, okay, right? Y'all, right? And so when Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, he's not saying you individually, but y'all, right? Y'all will be my witnesses. Y'all will have a testimony to give. Y'all will have a story to tell about who I am. See, a huge piece of that story, because what Jesus isn't just saying, He's not saying, you individualistic Western American Christian have a witness to give to your friends and coworkers and neighbors. While that is true, it's 
only a part of this greater witness that we have together collectively as a church body and as churches throughout our communities. Right? Because he's saying, y'all have a witness to who Jesus is. Y'all have a story to tell about what Jesus has done. See, our corporate identity is a huge piece of this puzzle because we were, as the Scriptures say, we once were not a people. We once had not received mercy. Now we are God's people and have received mercy if we're in Christ. We have a story to tell. It's not just that I was once a sexually immoral idolater, adulterer, greedy thief, or swindler, but we come from those kinds of backgrounds, right? Because you could add all kinds of things to the end of that list of different sins. But we come from that, but as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, such were some of you, but now you've been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And we are able to say, that's not just my story, that's His story, and that's her story. That's our story as a church. See, our witness is not some individualistic thing that we pass out a gospel tract. And while we should do that and can do that, we bear witness together as a church body that we are the people of God who have been washed and sanctified, regenerated and justified, that we are God's people. We belong to Him and we give witness to who Jesus is and what He's done every time we gather together as a church body and we sing songs about the beauty and glory and majesty of God and God's Word goes forth as it's proclaimed and we come to the Lord's table proclaiming His death until He returns. We have a witness together. This is why one of the reasons, and this is maybe a message for another day, right? But this is for free. There should be no such thing as a churchless Christian. There's no such thing as a churchless Christian. Now, this commission from Jesus shows that God's not only concerned with one kind of people as well, but He's also concerned with all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Right? Because if we're going to embrace our gospel witness, we have to do it right in the sphere in which Jesus says it ought to be done. And he says it's in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's work backwards in those. right? Because Jesus says if we're going to embrace a gospel witness, there's going to be a global aspect to that gospel witness. To the end of the earth. Now, the end of the earth in Jesus' day was essentially Spain. Okay? Right? Because they did not conceive of the fact that there was land on the other side of that big blue body of water that we call the Atlantic Ocean. Okay? And so whenever you get to the end of the book of Acts, you have Paul under house arrest in Rome. Right? If you trace the book of Acts, you can see the movement. Go back and do it on your own time. Uh, but you can see the movement from these different locations that the gospel advances. But Paul's in house arrest Uh, uh, under house arrest in Rome, wanting to go to Spain to take the gospel where? To the end of the earth. And listen, in our day and time, in our culture, in the 21st century movement of globalization, right? we have access to information about other peoples, other places, other cultures, other nations. We're able to send people there easily, oftentimes and and, and at minimal cost. Right? We're able to disseminate information and broadcast. Right? The gospel is going to the ends of the earth in our day and time, even in some of the hardest areas where missionaries are doing work incognito. Okay? To the ends of the earth. 
To embrace our role as gospel witnesses means that we're not just concerned about our hometown. We're not just concerned about our, our state or our country. We're concerned about the nations. Global. Global. But also, listen, Jesus says not only would it be a global witness, but it would be a cross-ethnic witness. A cross-ethnic witness. He says it would be to Samaria as well. Now, Samaria, if you don't know, right? Samaria was a region just north of Jerusalem, just north of Judea. It was inhabited by, you guessed it, right? The Samaritans. And the Samaritans were a mixed race or a mixed mixed ethnicity of individuals that were despised and considered outcast by the pure-blooded Jews, pure-blooded Israelites. Right, Because somewhere in their history, they had gotten mixed up with the peoples of the nations and they were no longer had pure lineage. And so they were a mixed race or a mixed ethnicity. And Jesus says this, he says, listen, I'm not only concerned about people who look like you, but about people who don't look like you. People who don't have your lineage. People who don't have the same blood flowing through their veins that you have flowing through yours. Genetically, so to speak. Right? I'm concerned about people who have different skin tones, people of different classes, cross-ethnic lines, Jesus says. And if we're to embrace our role as a gospel witness, it would have this global imprint to it, but also a cross-ethnic imprint to it as the gospel goes forth to all kinds of people. And if you don't know, you're living in fate right now, Living in Rockwall County right now, it is diversifying rapidly. And I praise God for that. Third, there would be a regional witness. A regional witness, Judea. Now, Judea was a region surrounding Jerusalem that was roughly 3,400 square miles. I'm not good at math, so I'd use the calculator. But, <laughs> and Google, okay? But if... If you take Rockwall County and Collin County and Hunt County and Kaufman County and Dallas County, right? The Rockwall County and the county surrounding it, add all of that up, the square miles that those, those counties covers are roughly 3,600 square miles. So Judea's roughly the size of our county and the counties surrounding us that touch Rockwall County. Okay? That's the size of Judea, the region in which people would have traveled to see family, the region in which people would have conducted business in their day. So as they went to these different places, as they engaged in business, as they saw family, Jesus says, within that region, you would have a gospel witness. You would be reporting the facts about who I am and what I have done and accomplished. But Jesus also says they would have a local witness. It starts in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been the place most local to the apostles and the early disciples. The place where the largest numbers of people would have known about the events of Jesus' arrest, His crucifixion, and resurrection because it took place there in that city. Jesus says you have a global witness, a cross-ethnic witness, a regional witness in view, but it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. Because Jesus, where does He start? I went backwards, but He goes forwards, doesn't He? He says, it starts right here in the place where God has planted you. And then it expands as you travel to conduct business and visit family. And then it expands across ethnic lines. And then it expands across national boundaries to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, that's what it looks like to embrace a gospel witness. 
So listen, church, the next five, as we think about this vision, it's not primarily about us building a building, but about us being built into the kind of people who would take our role as gospel witnesses seriously here in this community, here in this city, here in this county, here in this region, and across ethnic and racial lines to the ends of the globe. You with me? All right, so embrace a gospel witness. Why is this vital? Why is it vital? And I believe the text answers this question for us, and I would say it this way, it's because our witness, our witness continues Jesus' work. Now, some of you guys are familiar, well, most of us are familiar with what a sequel is, right? Either from literature or movies, okay? Sequel is like a second iteration of a story that comes out um, that has a similar character, same characters, either similar themes or same storyline, carrying that storyline forward into the future. Right? Case in point, okay, the Star Wars nonagology. Like, what is a nonagology? Well, a nonagon is a nine-sided shape, okay? All right? And there are nine movies in the Star Wars. It's not a trilogy, okay? It's a nonagology. All right? So you learned a new word this morning, okay? And so you had the original movies that came out in the 70s and 80s, and then you had the prequels of the early 2000s, right? And then you had the sequels to that that carried the story forward. But in each of those stories, you have similar characters, similar themes. There's a narrative arc that's moving in a direction as the story continues to unfold. And Luke says in in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Theophilus, I wrote to you in my former book, right, about all that Jesus began to do and began to teach, right? All that he began back there in his earthly ministry, I wrote to you about that so that you'd have a sure and certain grounding for what you were being taught and what you had believed. In other words, Luke says, Jesus' mission of saving sinners and renewing all of creation only just started in His earthly ministry. He carries it forward as the Gospel goes forth through His church as they function as their role of being Gospel witnesses. That Jesus is still active. He's still alive. He's still working through His church and through His people. In all the places that He's sending them, in all the places that churches get planted, that He's still working. Right? And that's when a gospel witness is how He's chosen to continue to work. You don't believe me? Look at the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, Peter gets done preaching on the day of Pentecost, right? Spirit falls, uh, comes upon those who were there, and as he's preaching, he calls the people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and he promises them the Holy Spirit, and that day we're told that 3,000 people are added to the church in Jerusalem. 3,000, right? So they go from the apostles and a handful of folks who are following Jesus in his earthly ministry now to a mega church overnight, Right? Later in Acts 3, Peter starts preaching at the temple and he calls out the sin of the Jewish people for having murdered, uh, having a murderer, Barabbas, released and Jesus condemned. And he says, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in Jesus, this man that he had just healed, Peter just healed, has regained his health. And then Peter goes on to cite Deuteronomy chapter 18, Genesis 22, to say Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies and predictions. And before they could arrest 
Peter and John and put them in jail for preaching about Jesus, over 5,000 people heard and believed. How? Through a gospel witness. Jesus is continuing the work that He began of reconciling men and women, boys and girls, to Himself through His substitutionary sacrifice on their behalf. He's continuing that work, church. And listen, we've seen that here at Redeemer. I remember a number of years ago preaching a, a series of messages through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And I remember week after week highlighting a different fruit and how that fruit comes from a root, right? It comes from a root. The Holy Spirit's producing that as He reforms and shapes our hearts into the conforms us into the image of Christ. And we talked about the heart over and over and over again, getting at the heart. And there was a man who had been attending the church for several weeks, and he writes a, a note on a, on a prayer card, says, I need a new heart. And I, I was floored when I read that. I don't know why. God works that way, right? But I was floored. And I set up coffee with him, along with another one of our staff members, and we had the privilege of leading that man to Christ that day. Right, Because God still works through a gospel witness. The proclamation of Jesus. And so how do, we, how do we participate in that? Because you're like, man, I'm not getting up there to preach. Let me give you three simple ways you can participate in that. First of all, you can pray for others. Pray for others. See, one of the best ways we can be intentional about evangelism is by asking other people how we can pray for them. That will open up conversations that you perhaps can't even fathom with those individuals. Just asking somebody at a restaurant, how can I pray for you? Asking a neighbor, how can I pray for you? Asking a coworker or a friend, how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you about? And as they share those needs, then pray with them right there. Pray if they're comfortable with that. Pray with them whenever you go home. And pray that God would open their eyes to see and their ears to hear. And that He would give you a sensitivity and a compassion to continue to serve those individuals as you pray for them and for their salvation. Listen, in our small groups, I know we share all kinds of prayer requests. Right? We share prayer requests about our health. And we share prayer requests maybe about our finances. And we share prayer requests about our children. Do we share prayer requests about the people that God has burdened our heart with who right now stand condemned apart from Jesus Christ? Has God burdened our heart for the lost to pray for them? Second, you tell the story of Jesus. You tell the story of Jesus. And it's pretty simple. Okay? Jesus says, I love it when he, in, 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 in verse 8 that the, that the disciples would be my witnesses. My witnesses. In other words, they would be witnesses to Jesus. They would testify to the facts about Jesus. See, when a witness goes into a court of law and they're sworn in and they take the stand, do they spend the next 30 minutes talking about themselves? Or do they spend the next 30 minutes talking about what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced, the facts of the case? Listen, sharing your story, what the Lord has done for you, that is a supplement to a gospel witness. That is not a gospel witness. Okay? Until the conversation is turned to Jesus living in our place, Jesus dying in our place, Jesus rising from the grave, Jesus returning to reclaim His own, 
right? That is not, it might be seeds you're scattering and planting. It's not wrong to share about the Lord's done in your life, right? But until the conversation is turned and Jesus becomes the fixture of that conversation, it's not a gospel witness. In fact, listen, Jesus himself said it in the first installment of the book of Acts, the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 48, Jesus, after his resurrection, says this. He says, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then in verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. What are the these things? Right. What are the these things? Christ suffering, Christ crucified, Christ rising from the dead, repentance and forgiveness in His name. That's what we are witnessing to. That's the story that we're telling. Right? And here's why that's important in a particular, in a pluralistic culture as it becomes more and more so whenever you say, well, Jesus just gives me warm fuzzies, right? I just have lots of joy and I have lots of peace. Like I said, that is so good. Hinduism gives me the same thing. Right? That is awesome. Right? I, I, secularism is the deal for me. Right? At what point then do, do you go, oh, that didn't work, right? Why? Because there's facts and history about a man who was born of a virgin. About a man who began to do and teach the coming of the kingdom of God. About a man who lived a sinless, perfect, pure life. About a man who was strung up on a cross and the weight of the sin of the world rested upon his shoulders. About a man who was laid in a tomb and rose from the grave three days later and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to whisper in his ear, it's time. That... Those are the facts. The facts of the case. That's what we're testifying and witnessing to. So tell the story of Jesus. Pray for others. And then invite them to church. Invite them. We talk about Jesus a lot here at Redeemer. Okay? We talk about Him a lot. So as you pray and as you tell His story, invite them to come and see how the worshiping community interacts with one another. How we love and care for one another. How we support and serve one another. Invite them to come and see Right? As they consider the claims of Christianity and how those bear themselves out in a church body. So pray, tell, invite. Third thing that I want you to see this morning is this where do we get the courage to bear this kind of witness? Because it can be intimidating at times to share this news with someone else. And I believe Jesus says this in the text, that God's Spirit empowers our witness. Our witness continues Jesus' work. God's Spirit empowers our witness. So my parents have been without a home now since September of 2020. Okay, they've been living in a small tin can RV that the insurance company rented for them after their home was destroyed by Hurricane Laura in September of 2020 in southwest Louisiana when it came through and just decimated the city of Lake Charles and the surrounding regions. Right? And so they've finally got a home that's being built there on their same property. 
and they've got brick, and they've got roof. It's all weather tight. They've got cabinets that have gone in. They've got flooring that's been laid down. Right? They've got appliances that are being delivered and beginning to be installed. But the electric company, Intergy, for the state of Louisiana, that not only provides electricity but services it, says also said that we cannot get to you to connect your power until after October 4th because we've got so much we're trying to restore over on the east east side of the state after Hurricane Ida swept through New Orleans, Baton Rouge area, right? And so all their linemen, all their service crews are trying to restore power over there. So they said it, it, it won't be at least until October 4th that we can get to you probably sometime after that. Now they've got all these appliances that have been delivered and installed and they're right now sitting there as just these big shiny paperweights, right? That's all they are because there's no power. There's no power. And it's not until that power is run and connected to the breaker box and those switches are flipped that those things begin to serve their purpose and their function, to do what they've been designed and made to do. And listen, church, I want you to know that we have a limitless power source for our witness. In fact, Jesus tells them in verse 8, He says, do not leave the city of Jerusalem until what? The, or earlier in the text, before, until what? The Holy Spirit comes. Don't leave. Because if you try to step out on your own, you'll have no power. You'll have no boldness. You'll have no courage. So Jesus says, wait for the Spirit to come. Because then, He will empower you with what you need to testify to me my work. And when this happens, church, when we walk in the power of the Spirit and we carry on the work of Jesus through our witness globally, cross-ethnically, regionally, and locally, what, what's the result of that? Listen, the book of Acts says the result of that is that all heaven breaks loose. Okay? All heaven breaks loose. Listen, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes and there's power now, infused in the life of the church. In Acts chapter 3, let me give you a few examples. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are headed to the temple for prayer and they come across a lame man at the beautiful gate who's begging for money. And Peter stops and he looks at the man and he says, listen, I don't have any financial resources to give to you, but what I do have, what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he heals the man. The man's ankles are strengthened. He stands up and begins rejoicing and praising God. In Acts chapter 4, the high priest wants to know something as he questions Peter and John. He says, by what power or in what name have you done this? Have you healed that man? And are preaching and teaching. And Peter says it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was the stone that the builders rejected, who has now become the cornerstone, the very foundation for the church, is this risen Jesus. And there's no other name by which we must be saved. After this encounter, listen, the church gathers and they pray for boldness. And when they pray, the place where they're gathered it begins to shake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak the Word of God boldly. Power comes. In Acts chapter 5, the high priests, they get mad again, right? So they had the, uh, some of the apostles arrested and put in prison, but God sends an angel to unlock the doors, tells them to go back to the temple, keep teaching and preaching, right? The same Jesus that got you arrested here in prison, right? And so they go back. 
And I continue to preach and teach. In Acts 7, Stephen is preaching about Israel's faithlessness and the Lord's faithfulness, right? And the people get enraged. The priests, the, 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 the religious leaders get enraged as he's talking about Jesus being the Lord's Messiah. He's giving this bold witness full of power. And they arrest Stephen. They drag him out of town. They begin to lift up stones to crush his skull. And as they're putting him to death, what happens? Power. Stephen isn't. His life still ends. But you know where the power is? He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's power. Going forward, you have the conversion of Saul who approved of Stephen's stoning for preaching Jesus, who would become Paul, the missionary, the church planter, right? the one who would reason with the philosophers at Mars Hill in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Right? He's converted on the road to Damascus and God gives him a ministry of church planting and an apostolic ministry there in the New Testament. Later in Acts, you have multiple deliverances from prison, missionary journeys undertaken, people believing on Jesus for salvation, churches planted, all kinds of people from all kinds of places witnessing to the person of Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest stories in the book of Acts, in my opinion, is in Acts chapter 19 in the city of Ephesus. Paul's been there. He's been preaching. He's left people there to preach. Churches are being planted are being planted in Ephesus. And what happens in Ephesus on account of this gospel witness is a cultural transformation. Because Ephesus was a city that was full of pagan idols. Full of pagan idols. And as such, you had all these craftsmen, right? These stonemasons and carpenters who would, had these guilds. Okay, where they worked together to carve out statues and carve out idols that the people could take home and you know, put over their uh, mantle in the first century, whatever that was. Okay? Right, so they had all these little statues and carvings. And there were so many people coming to faith in Jesus in Ephesus on account of Paul's testimony that a riot breaks out because these craftsmen are now losing their way of life. Because people are forsaking their idols and turning to worship and serve the true and living God. It's amazing. Powerful witness that's being born. And in fact, there's a riot breaking out. Paul's standing out like in the green room somewhere and he's like, let me at him. I want to go out there and preach. And the other people are like, no, Paul, you can't go out there and preach. They're going to kill you. Right? So you've got this amazing transformation of an entire culture taking place in the city of Ephesus right power goes out all heaven breaks loose church what would happen if all heaven broke loose today in our community if we got serious about embracing our role as gospel witnesses I think it would look like these four things first of all the lost being saved the lost being saved, people coming to faith in Christ, people who have been under the what Paul calls in First Timothy chapter four the influence of the doctrine of demons. Their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. That the light of the beauty of the glory of God in the person of Christ would shine forth, remove the scales from their eyes, lift the veil from their heart, and the Holy Spirit would cause them to be born again to new life in Jesus. The lost being saved. It would look like younger brothers. Right from Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, right? Those who have squandered their wealth and wild living. Those who have lived it up and said, listen, there is nothing after this, so we might as well eat, drink, be merry, and die. They've squandered opportunities of the course of their life. Those younger brothers 
coming to their knees and brokenness over their sin and turning to Jesus. But it would also look like older brothers. Not those who have been living with wild living, but those who have been living by rule keeping. Right? To earn God's favor, being broken of their own self-righteousness and coming to faith in Christ. It would look like men and women, boys and girls, being baptized, joining the church, using their gifts, serving in ministry, inviting friends, co-workers, neighbors, and family. It would look like the lost being saved if we embraced our role as gospel witnesses in this community. Second thing, if all heaven broke loose, it would look like captives finding liberty. Captives finding liberty. Those addicted to porn. Those addicted to pills. Those addicted to substances, finding hope in Christ. They don't have to turn to those things any longer. Those in bondage to sinful patterns of behavior would look like those who believe they are worthless because of things that have been said to them or things that have been done to them. The shame that they bear from their past or their history. Uh, them being freed from that. Being liberated as they discover that God they are treasured by God. No matter what someone said to them in their childhood, no matter what someone did to them in their childhood, no matter what someone thought of them, they are treasured by God and they are loved by God's church. It would look like those who have been bound by bitterness, hatred, anger, and resentment over the course of relationships in their past, experiencing forgiveness and extending that same forgiveness to those who have wounded them. It would look like those who have been captive to jealousy and covetousness and materialism set free to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because when someone else gets something good, I'm not jealous of them anymore. I can celebrate with them. To be content with the Lord's provision in my life and to use stuff to serve the Savior instead of using the Savior to try to serve the acquisition of stuff. It would look like captives finding liberty because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Third, it would look like the hurting finding healing. Marriages that have been ravaged by years of deceit and adultery having an opportunity to be restored. It would look like those mourning following the loss of someone that they love finding hope and help, navigating a new normal in life, putting the pieces back together in a support system of a church family to help fill in the gaps. It would look like those, listen, bearing the wounds of church hurt. Listen, church hurt is real. Church is real. Those bearing the wounds of church hurt, having the salve of God's grace wrapped in the gauze of Christian community and those wounds that have been inflicted by another family, finding healing and this family. If all heaven broke loose, it would look like the hurting finding healing. And fourth, it would look like the homeless finding a home. It would look like those who lean right and those who lean left in their politics worshiping the same Jesus together under the same roof on Sunday mornings because what binds us together is stronger and stickier than the solvent of our culture that is trying to dissolve us. It would look like folks with white skin being served and led by folks with black and brown skin and folks with black and brown skin being served and led by those with white skin. It would look like all classes and all colors coming together, not in some like we are the world, let's all hold hands kind of way, but because we're bound as brothers and sisters in Christ. What would happen if all heaven broke loose? As we embrace our role as gospel witness 
as gospel witnesses. Let me ask you a question. Where would we put the people? Where would we park the cars? Right? Where would we have classes for kids and to instruct and equip new followers of Jesus as disciples of His? Where would we do all those things? Listen, this past summer, we were down to two parking places open in that parking lot right out there. Right? So, where where are we going to go? So part of this initiative, yes, is about securing land and building a building. But listen, it is first and foremost about bearing a gospel witness in this community. And that as God sees fit to give growth, where are we going to put them, church? Where are we going to put them? One final thing I'll leave you with as we think about what that power looks like. What heaven breaking loose looks like. I'll tell you this, from the book of Acts, it also looks like a communal generosity. Radical generosity. In Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, and again in chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, we're told when the church met together in their midst and they identified needs that arose, what'd they do? They said, hey, listen, I've got this field. I can sell it. We can bring the proceeds and lay them at the disciples' feet to distribute to those who have the needs. Right? As the church had needs, what were they doing? They weren't like, well, I was kind of banking on that to build a house whenever I retire, right? Or I was kind of banking on that to pass down to my kids. They weren't saying that. They were saying the church is in need. They were... They were liquidating assets and bringing it to the table to say, we want to be a part of God doing what He's doing as He takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a radical generosity that's born in the early church when people had what they needed, to ad- what other people needed. Right? And listen, I'm going to tell you something, that is not natural. <laughs> that is not natural. That is born of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's people. So listen, if you're new with us this morning and you're like, man, I knew it. I showed up. They're talking about money. That's all their church ever talks about is money. Listen, if you're new with us, we don't want a dime from you. Okay? We don't. We want you to find a home. And as you find a home and get to know people and are ministered to by people, if God moves your heart to be a part of this initiative, so be it. We would love to have you as members of this church. But listen, don't think that, oh, well, this, well I can't go back there. Let me talk about money for the next six weeks. I'm talking about a lot more than money. I'm talking about mission that God has given us. But as we launch this initiative, we want to ask you to prayerfully be considering, if you're a member of this church, how is it that God's going to lead your family to partner with us? To reach our neighbors. And as we do, to have a place to gather with them. As you leave today, there's some envelopes with each, each of our member families' names on them. They'll be in the back of the room. We invite just one representative from your family to stop by and grab them. Inside that envelope, there'll be one of these brochures. It'll outline the next five initiative for you and what you can expect over the course of these next several weeks. And that is also a commitment card that we're asking you to pray about and consider how the Lord's going to use you to be a part of what He's doing in our midst. 
Right, there'll be small group gatherings starting this next Thursday night in life groups. I'll be coming around, making the rounds in all the different life groups, sharing more, answering your questions, ha- having some Q&A, listening to your concerns even about where we're headed and how we plan to get there. Right, we'll have a Commitment Sunday on October 24th. We Just mark your calendars. Plan to be here for that and join us as we bring this before the Lord and ask Him to do what only He's able to do. And then on November 7th, we'll announce a total and we'll celebrate together what the Lord has done and continue to look forward to what He's doing as He uses our church and this community as we embrace our role as gospel witnesses. I want to lead us in prayer this morning to that end. Father, today we thank You for Your Word and Your work in our lives. Father, none of us is here this morning by chance but you have providentially appointed each of us to be here today. And God, I pray, I pray that you would remind us this week, next week, the following week, and every week after that the main focus of this initiative is not a place, but it's people. It's people who are far from you. People who stand condemned in their sin. People who need the Lord Jesus. People who need the power of the Holy Spirit to release them from captivity, to heal them from hurts, and to give them a home with brothers and sisters who are bound so tightly together that the things that divide us in the world would not divide us in the church. Help us to embrace our corporate identity as your people. That, that we together would have a story to tell. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Your son who lived and died in our place and your spirit who empowers us to be his witnesses. May we we be a church that takes seriously our role as gospel witnesses by praying, by telling the story of Jesus, by inviting others to participate in this with us. And this body, this new family that you have formed by the blood of your son. And that family would multiply into our region. It would multiply cross ethnic lines that are multiplied at the ends of the earth and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen.